and blessing on uh, on the teaching. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much. Uh, it means more than I can put into words to see everybody here and ask for your grace right now to be made real to us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, hermeneutics. It's the science. It's a spiritual discipline. It's an academic discipline on how to interpret Scripture correctly and to handle it really well. Let me walk you through some really simple things that are important to do that. And these tools in the toolbox can help us handle Scripture. For example, I think that's one of the most important things we can do before we interpret Scripture. Just pray about it. Just talk. Ask God. Help me understand your word. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 6 that his words are life. The flesh profits nothing. And the words that I speak to you are spirit and are life. And yet for a lot of us, we read scripture and it seems like it's a dead book. These are old, dusty words. We don't understand them. And so we read a, a, a verse or two and we're like, oh, whoa, can't handle that. Let me kind of set it aside. I understand that it is hard to, to interpret scripture sometimes. I get that. But I would just say, pray. You know, it's like in a Christian house, you pray before you eat and pray before you read and say Say, God, please speak to me through your word, okay? Secondly, I would ask you to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, okay? Look at these verses. These are really powerful. Uh, The helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you all that I said to you. There's something really, really important there that we need to tap into. The Holy Spirit is given by God to help us understand what Jesus teaches and remind us of actually what what he has taught. John 16, a similar idea that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. How beautiful is that? As God speaks, the Spirit hears and he passes it right on to us. So this is truly amazing. There's just an amazing opportunity and relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. First John, this is a little t- this is a tougher one to handle. First John 2. As for you, you have an anointing which you receive from him and it remains in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. <laughs> it's like, what? Is the scripture saying we don't have teachers? We don't have need for a teacher? That sounds odd. Uh, and, and this anointing, this truth is true. It's not a lie just as he taught us taught you in uh, you remain in him so he's not talking about there's no need for teachers he's saying when you understand the gospel you really don't need another version of that all right how about this one discover the literary genre ready i'm going to put you on the spot what is the difference between poetry and apocalyptic janice what's poetry Poetry can be you relaying an idea. It should be either like a song or yeah. whatever, but it's not necessarily <clears throat> historical. Okay. All right. What's what's apocalyptic? What's that? It's something that is revealed. Something hidden is now going to be revealed. Okay. Good stuff. So you would handle the Book of Revelation a little differently than you would. Psalm 30 or something like that. Yeah. Okay. What about this one? Historical context. Does that matter? Why? Why, Jen? Because it's 
Mm -hmm. They're custom, I mean, at least what I've always heard, the customs and, you know, how they would relate to what's being said. Mm -hmm. Okay, for example, um, there's there's a teaching in the Gospels where Jesus is accused of not being a good good rabbi because he's not requiring his disciples to wash their hands before they eat. And you think, well, that's, you know, is that the worst thing in the world? You know, little Isaiah, he'll run to the bathroom and then we'll say, Isaiah or Zezay, Zezay, do you wash your hands? And he runs around and goes back. Like, okay, you know, you want to teach your kids to wash your hands. But we all know it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not a moral sin to not wash your hands always. You get that one. So historically then, why is it a big deal? Why would they say Jesus is a bad rabbi? He doesn't make his disciples wash their hands. What's the historical context? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Somebody else, what's the historical background that makes it so important? Help Jen out. Why? Lee? The law commanded. The law commanded. It's, the, it's Jewish culture. You knew that. I, 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 I know. It's, it's a Jewish thing. Jewish culture said, hey, wash your hands. This is how it's done. Be clean. Come out from among, among them. Don't hang out with the unclean. Focus on the clean. What's that? Which is true. So since you're on the subject, young man, they also had a better diet. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you finish that idea out. Thank you very much. All right. Number five, limit your understanding of a single word to the greater context of usage. That's really, really important. Okay. Uh, I read these blogs or people say, hey, Chris, you need to read this blog. Like, I've got nothing to do except, you know, read a thousand blogs a day or something. And, and, and it says, now, according to this Greek word, this is how it's used. And they take, they, they take the perspective from here and they go down to this little bitty perspective. And like, because the guy, by the way, you can go to your local lexicon for free and do that. And he goes, aha, there's the meaning. Got it. And then at that point, he thinks he's just unlocked the scriptures. And, and brilliant. Oh, that's what that word means, you know. Okay, I got it. We need to know what the words mean. But you know what? Meaning is only found in the greater context of usage, right? Only found. You take a single word and put nothing around it, and what do you get? Take a single word with no context of meaning around it, and what do you have? With, with no significant meaning whatsoever. I, this is fun to, fun to say. I've done it before. Bear with me in my redundancy. If I say I love Big Joe burgers at Corky's. I just love those burgers. And then I say to my daughter, Andrea, I love you. Now, I've used, I use the word love in both contexts. I can't reduce Andrea to a burger, nor can I elevate a burger to that of a human being. But I said the word love. So you, you have to limit your understanding to the greater context. Otherwise, anybody can dial up online. What does the Greek word agape mean? Or whatever the word is, and all of a sudden you think you're, you, you've dialed it in. And, and all others are wrong on planet Earth except you. Because you read that little thingy. 
All right, discover the difference between what is prescriptive and what is descriptive. That's a big one. What does that mean? What's prescription? Something you should do. It's a command you ought to do this. For example, is the command Edie uh, in John's writings, love one another. Is that descriptive or prescriptive? Absolutely. You have to bear the weight of that responsibility to love other people. Um, But if it says Judas went out and hanged himself, is that a prescription or a description? It's description. Know the difference between the two. Okay. By the way, uh, there are some people with profound mental illness and those who have been raised in horrific homes and childhoods across the nation and experienced lots of abuse in high religious frameworks, homes oftentimes can't do that. And the mental illness is so severe, they will hear a verse of scripture or read it and think God's actually talking to them and they should go out and do that like find a tree. Yeah, pretty serious stuff. How about this one? Discover the intention of the author. It makes a rule here that the scriptures can only mean today what they meant at the time of writing. Know the difference between interpretation and application. Um, here's a, here's a, for example. Um, when you pray, all right, pray in secret. Go to your closet, pray in secret. Don't be like the Pharisees who like to wear long robes and bright, colorful, elaborate garments and stand in the street corners and pray these loud and proud prayers. Don't be like that. When you pray, go to your secret place. Why? Because your father who sees in secret will hear you and you'll be rewarded because of that. But the people who are on the street corners and brag in loud, proud prayers, God's not going to listen to those prayers. What's the interpretation of that as opposed to the application? Does that mean when we have a closing prayer today that we're violating scripture? Why? It says go and seek, pray in secret. What it says. The the motive in a closing prayer today is not to get the praise of men. The Pharisee prayer on the corner was he was doing that so that all the people, oh, look how righteous Chris is. He's out there with his big robe and he's praying on the corner. Right, right. And same with uh, the principle of giving. You know, there was this temple treasury. There was a parade of people showing their great devotion by putting in vast amounts of money. But it's the widow who drops in like some of the smallest denominations of money in that culture. And Jesus said she gave more than anybody else. There you go. So it's about motive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's interpretation. And therefore, we can apply it in many, in many ways. You got it? Makes sense. You guys ready to put some muscle to this and do it? Okay. All right, here we go. I want you to, oh, uh, and I'm sorry, last point. Um, truth is essential. Ask yourself, what do I need to do here to be a follower of Jesus? I think that's critical. We don't just read scripture, understand it, Justin, just to, just to like check off the box while I have my quiet time today and then go live as a non-believer. No, we, we do it to become people who are believers. All right. Two parables about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. How do we interpret these? The kingdom of heaven is like, so there's a comparison going on here. It's a way of illustrating. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. By the way, verse 45 of chapter 13, again, the kingdom of heaven. If you're going to look at context, it's as though that second parable about the costly pearl has a whole lot to do with the first one, the hidden treasure. It's like I'm, I'm telling you one thing, let me tell you again. Same point, another way to look at it. So, all right, how are we going, how are we going to handle this? Who's who? What's what? What do you think? How about this? Who's the person in either of them? The person is should be us. Okay. Okay. And we come across we come across an understanding of the treasure that is life in Christ, and we are thus willing to give up everything for that. Beautiful. Did you hear what Ed did? That was beautiful. All right. Um, this this is an example of. Critical thinking. It's thinking. Love it. Thank you. Anybody else online? Stephen? Um, Paul and Melissa, I expect great things from you. Don't be shy. Um, all right. Anybody else? Well, not only that, it's not viewed as a sacrifice at all. It's a good business decision. It's a wise decision. I like that word wise. Yeah. yeah you, you realize that what you're clearing house for is more than worth what you're about to get. Right, right, uh, right. And so it's a no-brainer risk. Yeah. Risk-benefit ratio is very, very clear. The benefits are so profound, it absolutely overrides any risk, um, uh, you know, liquidation of material assets or anything. Yes? Why would that verse 45 not say the kingdom of heaven is like fine pearls being sought by a merchant? Okay. Because... When I, you know, when I, I just read that, it's like, okay, first of all, it's, it's like the treasure. But then when I read verse 45 in English, it looks like they're comparing the kingdom of heaven to a person, not to the valued item. Very, very good. Justin, uh any comment about the original language? Is there anything tricky or curious about the Greek that it, only if you knew Greek could you really figure it out? Or is, is Didi saying, hey, look, the English text is pretty plain here. What do you think? Any comment? I think it's right. I think Jesus is switching it up. Okay. He's, he's changing from just the object that's found to the person who wants the object. Okay. I think, I think it's kind of like... Uh, it's, it's pointing to desire. What's the kingdom of God like? How does the kingdom of God operate? It operates through the core of our human desires. Deep down. How can we have misdirected desires? We want all kinds of things. We want pearls. So we think pearls are going to be our be all and all. But what we really find is what, in the kingdom of heaven, is what we most deeply, we discover this is what we most deeply want. 
Gotcha, gotcha. All right. You ready? Because when I read that, honestly, the first thing, because I've never noticed the switch up before. Okay. When I read it, I thought, okay, here's what I thought in my own mind. I thought, well, the kingdom of heaven, if, if the merchant could be Jesus seeking things that are of value to him, meaning us, and so he went and he gave everything to have us. That was the first, that's why I asked why the switch up there. I, I, it's I, curious, I, isn't it? It's very curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Edie and Ed, this is going to be good. Interpretation number one, or A, meaning by that a perspective. We're going to put on a certain set of lenses, and we're going to read those two parables from this perspective, that these two parables are about man pursuing the kingdom of heaven, as Ed has alluded to and Justin has alluded to. Right. So in a way, Ed, this is about kind of discipleship, conversion and discipleship. Like if you get Joe, you mentioned it. If you get the value of heaven, the benefit of heaven over the risk of hell. If you've got a brain in your head, you will do what it takes to lay hold of heaven to get your seat at the table in the kingdom of God. Right. If you don't. <laughs> wow. OK, so this is man pursuing the kingdom of heaven. So it's going to look something like this. All right. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. That's curious. He hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys the field. So the hidden treasure then is the kingdom of heaven. And found and hid again statement means the kingdom of heaven is of such value. You don't do anything to risk losing it. Okay. The field is the world. And man is people seeking the kingdom of heaven and buying the field is a radical liquidation of all material assets to legally buy the property to get it, to get the treasure. So the idea here is that the kingdom of heaven is of such worth that only the wise, Joe, will radically do whatever it takes to get into it. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, it does, except for... (laughs) Thank you, Andrea. <laughs> Those sneaky Christians. Ooh. Thank goodness somebody finally said that's for years. Yes, it's like if this is a really good person, what would he have done? Dear landowner, you have no idea what I found on your property. <laughs> Brian, there's no telling. I, I, I'm imagining something. So here's Brian the cop, and he gets, he's out doing his thing in Little Rock, and somebody comes up with a big bag at one of the local dives and says, sir, there's $20,000 worth of cash in here, and, and I just want to sleep tonight and have a good conscience. So I'm going to give this cash to you because I know that you'll take it to the precinct and it will be handled well there. Has that ever happened to you? It has. Really? Not 20000 Okay. <laughs> Wow, wow. And, and Tom, has that ever happened to you? No. No, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. There's other stories about, um, like, the parable with the guy who takes the, the bills the other people owe his yes. master, and he cuts them in half so that he will have somewhere to go. During the persecution. And, uh, Sneaky Christians. A sneaky cheat. <laughs> <laughs> a weird 
Yeah, the sons of this world are shrewder than the sons of light. I know, because you know you hate to miss an opportunity like that. So we're also not talking about Christian grace values. You know, the people that in the, in the context of we'd be talking about people who would first century honor shame. That's where the context would probably lie. Sure, sure, sure. Boy, it would be really devious, Andrea, to find that treasure belonging to somebody else. Ooh, that would be very shameful. And that treasure is the kingdom of heaven, something that should be shared with everybody. Interesting, interesting. Well, he wanted it first before he shared it. Do you see how hard it is? Do you appreciate the burden that falls on my little shoulders? Right. I was just thinking, I think this is exactly what happened when Jesus told the story. Yep. They people are thinking, are you saying that we should lie to the kingdom of heaven? Like, or we should be like that shrewd manager that should undercut. Uh, I think I don't know. One of the things with the parables, you have to sometimes avoid overinterpretation. And okay, so the point is, this is just a radical. It's a rap. I'm, I'm going to do everything that I can right here, right now, and I'm not even thinking about <clears throat> what the consequences are. I'm just going to go get this thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's fascinating, Justin. Is that the, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and said, "I know why you're mad. Let me tell you why you're mad." You block the way to the entrance of the kingdom of God. And I've confronted you about it. And you're mad because the tax collectors, the drunks, and the prostitutes are getting in ahead of you. You know, I'm upsetting the order of things. And, and you're mad. All right, so this is good. Let's go to the next one. So again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. And remember, we're looking at interpretation A, those lenses, man pursuing the kingdom of God. So the merchant is people, somehow idiots. Somehow it's people in the generic sense, seeking after God's religion, some pearl of something to, out there in this world. But he finds, he finds the costly pearl, Jesus. And he radically liquidates all that he has to get Jesus. So the kingdom of heaven is, again, of such worth that only the wise will radically do whatever it takes to get into it. Okay? Got it? Let's put on a new set of lenses, God pursuing us. New, new set of lenses. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has. And buys that field. The hidden treasure is Christians in the world. Found and hid again. God's laying claim to believers. The field, the world. For God so loved the world. The man is God the father. Buying the field is God sacrifices his son. As full payment to purchase believers. With the blood of Jesus. People are of such worth. 
that God radically sold his son to purchase them back to himself to share his kingdom. It's too late. You had your chance and you missed it. But I was just thinking of the garden where, where Christ, he was actually, he sold his, his, his earthly body in the, in, the, in the garden at that point when he said, if you, you know, make this cup pass, that would be great. But he didn't. And he accepted. Yeah. He yeah. knew what was going to happen. He knew what was coming. And then he, that's how he purchased it for, for everyone. Yes, that's good. Let's look at the next one. So again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. The merchant, God, the father, find pearls, the world, for God to love the world. One costly pearl, the individual believer, Edie. God leaves the 99 for the one. Selling everything again, God sacrifices his son as full payment to purchase believers with his own blood. Remember your guide? Okay. Here we go. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. Now that you've walked through those two parables from two different perspectives. Okay. Why does this matter? And how do we pull it into our world today? What difference can it make? Because as I said at point number eight, when you go to understand God's word, you're doing it. Not to check off a box, I had my quiet time, but it's like, this will help me be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, I love when you get in here, all the questions being thrown out and everything, because to me, when we approach Scripture that way, and we, and we, and I mean, I wonder about everything. So when I approach Scripture, I wonder about things like that, but for me personally, and I, I believe for everyone, it gives, the, it gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to teach us what he's trying to teach us with what's going on in our life personally right now, today, so that we can live that scripture out. And I, I'm guessing everybody in here has a different <clears throat> something, that little nugget that they're going to take away from just the discussion this morning of scripture. Yeah. Instead of yeah. just reading it and going, okay, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So is it is it possible, Justin said, one of the core ideas here that's undeniable is that there's desire. There's the the acknowledging that whatever this thing is, it is of such value that you'd be silly to not pursue it. Okay. So yeah, that's we can lay hold of that. Does that apply to discipleship and faith? Sure. So you could you could read that and, and Edie kind of draw some encouragement, you as a follower of Jesus, right? And say, man, he's everything to me. I'm going to lay, like Paul, Philippians 3, I'm going to lay hold of that which laid hold of me. I'm going to lean in, forget what's behind. I'm pressing in. I'm going hard after God. So you can get that idea of radicals selling out in devotion. You you can get that from this story, sir. Ed? When considering which interpretation to go from, and partially being this time of year, I'm reminded of something my father often said. When someone would ask him, do you want some pie or cake? And he'd say, yes. <laughs> um, 
it's there's there's a both hand. I think. It's really good. Yeah. Because yeah. Because there's the as far as the second interpretation, um, and in some ways I think they they need to go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's on recognizing what God has done that He has pursued us in that way. Yeah. That we can embrace the first interpretation that there is a value to this that we need to be willing to give up things. Yeah. Yeah. And take the time. Yeah. And yeah. Um, to pursue the kingdom ourselves, we have been pursued, and thus we need. To pursue. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense Ed, because remember the story of the rich young ruler. And Jesus reading, reading through this guy completely says, hey, you, you want to get into heaven? Okay. Have you kept the commandments? And he takes off a lot of them, skips some intentionally, but other gods before me, that kind of stuff. And then Jesus goes, uh, it's almost like a Peter Falk Columbo thing. Oh, and by the way, one more thing. By, by the way, sell everything and follow me. And that's when the guy, Jesus, nails him. He was, it was the cat with the mouse. I promise you, Jesus knew what he was doing. And the guy says, nope. And he walks away. And Jesus doesn't chase him down. Whew. Wow. That's heavy, heavy stuff. Well, it's also how he describes how he walked Yeah. Downcast. Yes, downcast. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Settling for a lesser pearl. Settling for a field with no treasure in it. Yeah. Okay. Andrea, you have answered so well. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. The writer of Hebrews, whoever that guy is, said that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight. We can't find a place that God can't see us. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Scripture is a sharp razor, Andrew. You can read these two passages and it can expose a lazy, half-hearted selfish, immature faith that's cheap. But it also can show you something about this right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Yes. Guide us into all truth. And we are never gonna he tells us things that if we don't pursue the Holy Spirit teaching us what those things mean, then we're never gonna understand. Hmm. I mean, I, I got I know non-Christians that can run circles around me know scripture. They know scripture, they don't believe. But yeah. they know a whole lot more of the scriptures than probably I do. They just don't understand it. They don't get it. And so so Jesus puts it out there for us and then it, it becomes we have got to want to understand it so bad and understand how to live it so bad that we let the Holy Spirit we pursue the Holy Spirit to teach us, hmm. to lead us into that truth hmm. so that we can understand it. Because Jesus, like he didn't want the rich young ruler, he, he loved him because it says he loved him, but he let him go. Because yeah. he didn't want to have him settle for something less than yeah. everything Jesus had to give him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the same with us in scripture. Jesus puts it there, and he doesn't want us to settle for something less. Mm-hmm. So he's given us the Holy Spirit and gone, you want to know, you've got a teacher. Yes. Yes. And (laughs) Edie, um, even if we struggle with the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus believed the Holy Spirit was real and gave him this job assignment. In other words, even if you struggle with it, Jesus didn't. Jesus believed it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so let me push you just a little bit. Where in Scripture does it say you earn, you work with all your heart, white knuckled, you do what it takes to get into the kingdom of God? Where does it teach you that, that in Scripture? It doesn't, Philip. Can anybody quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, the work of God. It's... Only God only accomplishes this through His Son, Jesus Christ. So if we're going to push the golden rule, what's the intent of the author? What is Jesus trying to say when you embed this in Matthew 13? where he goes, There's lots of parables, by the way, but the kingdom of heaven is like a, a woman who put leaven in a, a lump of dough, or the kingdom of heaven is like this and like that and this and that. One thing here is, is you read what's just before the... Context? Yeah, context. Oh, Lee, now that's a good word. He spoken a bunch of parables. Yeah. And then he's pulled aside with his disciples. Right. And they ask him to explain one. The weeds. Tell us about the weeds. Tears in the weed of the weeds, yeah. And this is what this is how he uses to explain that parable. So there are there is there are weeds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kingdom is available to all who receive it. It's important to make it important to receive it. Yes, yes, goodly. 
Oh, that's good, yes. All right, Philip. Um, I think it's important to you to kind of, um, I think you can still pursue God and be doing it your whole life, and then it doesn't have to feel like a new grasping concept, which Jesus kind of wraps up in this end of this 13th chapter of the storehouse of truth. Because um, he, you know, like I said, he went through all these parables of the value of the kingdom of heaven, and he says, do you, do you know these things? And the disciples say, yes. And then Jesus says, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his store and treasures new and so You've been following Christ, you have a lot of treasure already in heaven. Don't forget it. You can store it and get new treasures in heaven too. Yeah. Yeah. That is so good. That is so good. Yeah. kingdom and right? he chose not to do it so jesus let him go yeah yeah he's tear he's a he's a weed right. yep yeah all right let's let's move this to some uh some point blank application for 2022 that's upon us um let's apply this to the new year all right um if if you take if you read the text as though you've got to make the decision on what the great pearl is, and that's Jesus, you've done it, and that you've got to continue this sold-out faith. What would happen in you in 2022? What are you going to do to practically put hands and feet to the idea that you've got to have this radical sell-out kind of faith and really lay hold of it? Well, you know, when we talk about Scripture being alive now, this is what we're talking about. These, these parables have double meanings, and possibly more. But I think in the context, as Lee pointed out, meaning B is the primary meaning. Okay. God has just got, Jesus has just, just got done telling them a parable, which very specifically says, I don't want you guys doing the harvesting because you'll pull up the wrong thing. I value the people who have come to me and come to the kingdom so much that I'm going to take care of that. And we'll, we'll deal with the weeds when we, when we need to. The weeds will be dealt with. But the value of the, ter- the, the wheat is so high that he's going to personally make sure that nobody is lost. Yeah. Yeah. Placing the value on the person who's come to the kingdom. Yeah. I think that meaning carries over here. So if you want to you apply it, all of us who have practiced religion our whole lives have focused 85, 90, 95% on our duties and our responses and our obedience and our this and our that and blah, blah, blah. Beating the ground, which is why everybody, probably me included, come to these two verses and we see it from the perspective of what we're supposed to be doing first. That's not wrong. But the thing for me to remember is I was pursued and valued and chosen before I started responding. Yeah. 
I was picked first. We were all picked first. And prize <coughs> at a price page that is catastrophic. Uh, therefore, respond in kind. And it goes from being a, a, a dutiful, I must obey so that I, my fire insurance doesn't expire, to a response of love and gratitude. Yeah. Ergo, the parable from our perspective is any idiot would do what this guy did if he saw the value in it. Yes. It, it, there is no, there's no, oh, I'm a sacrifice. It's obvious because you know how valuable it is. And you know how valuable it is because God has already reached out and put his hand out to you. Mm. taking the first step towards us in redemption. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Joe. So let me let me tease you just a little bit on some doctrine like Calvinism. You all know what Calvinism is, right? And according to Calvinist teaching, and there's lots of churches that are sold out down the Calvinist. They're floating down the Calvinist River. Um, what's the worth from a position of Calvinism, what is the worth of a human being? Nothing. You're worthless. In fact, you're so bad, there's not even a spark, not a spark of goodness in you. You are so dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, that only God can actually create life within you. Do you agree with that? I, I do. I'm sorry, I hit my mind. I do. I agree with that. There's no good thing in my flesh, none. And yet... Equally, Joe, at the same time, I'm the pearl of great price. For God so loved me that he radically liquidated his greatest asset, Jesus, and allowed him to die as a criminal, though innocent, that I, the criminal, would be considered innocent in him. That is grace. And so where do you think the healthiest self-esteem is going to be found? Humility, Humility right. But what are you going to do based on this? What are you going to do with, with 2022 and, and your valuing of yourself? What are you going to do? You're going to have a white-knuckled approach? It's up to me. I'm going to push forward. By the way, we need to all be devoted, unquestioned. But what about... God pursue, I'm so loved. I can, I can, if God loved me that much, maybe I can learn to love myself. And if I can learn to love myself, maybe I could love others. And it becomes a beautiful thing. Does it make sense? We all worthless except that God loves us and his love gives us worth. Yes, yes. And when we understand that, it's it's so changed. I changes everything. Yes, yeah. Acts ten fifteen. What God says is clean is clean. And don't you say it's unholy. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Anybody online, Stephen? Okay. Anybody else? Well, on do you understand this is what makes Christianity unique? Isn't it special? If, if all we have is rules to follow for salvation, you are another world religion, just take your pick. Which flavor do you want? Yeah. Christianity is from heaven because it tells you you are equally valuable and worthless at the same time. It's got nothing to do with what you're bringing. We live in a world where a lot of our relationships, when we're real honest with ourselves, are perpetrated upon what others can do for us and vice versa. You know, can Joe help me out while buddy up to Joe for a while? Or maybe, you know, somebody's got something that I like, so I'm going to spend time with them. 
Everybody knows it's that shallow. It's kind of a social game we play. But we do it and it makes culture move. However, here with Christ, we have something that breaks that. And, and, and you can tell people that they can come here and be who they are, come as you are. I think we're seeing it today. <laughs> it's not a lie. It's true. And if we get it, we're going to treat people just like they're as valuable as these passages say God thinks they are. Not what they can do for our group, not what they can bring, not how, much, how big the check they write is, but that they are equally chosen, irredeemable people who have been redeemed. <laughs> the irredeemable who have yeah. been redeemed. Absolutely. Everybody's good enough, nobody's better than anybody else. Yeah. Joe, John six sixty three. it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Wow. Wow. So, Andrea, we need each other, don't we? This is the body of Christ. Yeah. That's what happens when you're 21. And that's how you yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. it's just stuff like that. And, but to know that if you're in a group, you have the chance to hear diff- different perspectives and to be taught and to get the whole picture eventually as you go along. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. It is so good. Anybody else? So, John chapter 1, verse 17. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got to have. We've got to have grace. Otherwise, Joe, we destroy ourselves. We're ruined. But we have to have truth. Because when you do get the value of the kingdom of heaven, you're like Paul in Philippians 3. You go hard after it. You forget what's behind and you lean in and you don't look back. You get both. So, all right. You guys are wonderful. Thank you so much. Let me pray and bless you. Father, thank you for the grace that you've given and the truth that you've given. And we need you and we need each other to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Thank you for this moment today. I needed it. In Jesus' name, amen.